Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for your goodness, your mercy, and kindness, and for the blood of your Son, Jesus, that cleanses us from all sin. We thank you, Lord God, for the eternal truth <coughs> of your word and your spirit that leads us into that truth. Pour your spirit upon us. Let your name be glorified in our midst this evening. Let your people be edified. And we pray for those who may not know your son, that they will come to a saving knowledge of the truth in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. The death of reason. The death of reason. Worldviews. The way that people look at existence. The way they look at their life. The way they see things. The basic human philosophy of life that prevails at any particular time. Worldviews are a complicated issue. They're often associated with something called the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. In Paul's day, the first century church, Paul the Apostle, having been both a Roman and a Jew, having been a Greek-speaking intellectual, Latin-speaking citizen of the empire, yet a Hebrew of Hebrews, Paul understood all of the prevailing worldviews of the civilization of his day. He understood the Greek way of thinking, the Hellenistic mindset of the Greco-Roman world, and he understood the Jewish mindset. There were two different views of life. The Jews had one worldview. The Greeks and Romans had another. The Romans essentially adopted their worldview from the Greeks. The Hebrews were, of course, monotheistic, and the Hebrews believed in theopomorphic man, that men and women were made in the image and likeness of God. The Greco-Roman world was polytheistic, and they had anthropomorphic gods. They believed that gods were made in the image and likeness of men, or they treated their gods as having human personalities. You could lie to them, you could treat them, and things like this. The differences in theology automatically created differences in philosophy and the way people looked at life. Well, it's the same today. The difference in what you believe theologically will determine your philosophy of life. You can go around the world and see this in different cultures. The belief system of the people determines the way they look at life. Even if they claim to believe in nothing, even if they claim to be secular humanists, that will still affect the way they look at their lives and the way they look at their society and the rest of the world to some degree. Paul understood this, and he understood the conflict between the Hellenistic world, that is the Greek world, the Greco-Roman world, and the Jewish world. And the two were always in conflict. But in the church, something happened. Now you had non-Jews, Gentile God-fearers, coming to believe in the Jewish Messiah and being born again. They were entering a world spiritually and theologically that was Jewish, but their culture their language, their history, their experience was Greco-Roman, was Hellenistic, even from a pagan worldview, from a pagan background. This created all kinds of problems in the early church, all kinds of problems. Paul knew both cultures, both worldviews, and he was trying to explain things. For instance, a Jewish understanding of Jesus was that he was fully human, fully divine. The Savior, the God-man, he was fully human and fully divine. The Greeks, however, 
believed that Zeus, the chief god, who they identified with the planet Jupiter, had relations with a human woman, and their savior, mythical, was Hercules, who was half human and half divine. While Jesus was 100% and 100%, Hercules was 50-50. They were both superhuman. They were both champions of the poor. They were both son of a god, or son of the great god. Yet, they were very, very different. But it was easy to confuse the two. So easy for Greeks to confuse the two. Not far from Corinth is the city of Delphi, where to this day there are tar pits that are highly sulfuric. The Delphic Oracle would be enthroned above the tar pits and inhale the fumes. It was a hallucinogen. It would cause her to hallucinate. And in a hallucinogenic state, she would begin to have, to become delirious and begin to, to have visions, and she would sing, kind of yodeling apparently, which was interpreted by the priests of Delphi. This was the Delphic Oracle. Well, that sounded like tongues. So the Greeks who became Christians came to Corinth bringing that kind of baggage with them. Everything was chaotic the way it was in Delphi. Paul is saying, no, it can't be chaotic. One at a time, it has to be interpreted. This is not the way tongues work. There's always a counterfeit. Major, major problems like this because of conflicting worldviews. In the Western world, we've always had conflicting worldviews. In the United States and our foundations, we had founding fathers who were strongly influenced by Judeo-Christian principles. The first people to bring democratic ideals and a constitution to the United States were basically people who were Puritans. They wrote the first American constitution, <clears throat> the Fundamental Orders of Connecticut. It was people like Roger Williams in, in uh, Rhode Island and Thomas Hooker in Connecticut. These were Baptists and Puritans and things like this. And they followed the idea that came into England under the parliamentarians after the English Civil War that for democracy to work, we had to be governed by men who were governed by God. Otherwise, there'd be no true demos, there'd be no true government of the people unless we based our models of democracy on scriptural principles and a belief in God. But there were other people who were rationalists. This was the age when rationalism, secular rationalism, began. Thomas Paine wrote Age of Reason. Benjamin Franklin was basically an agnostic. Many of these people practiced things like Freemasonry. Thomas Jefferson was a deist. He didn't believe God intervened or interfered in the affairs of men. And when he translated his New Testament, he simply left out the books that he didn't agree with. <laughs> the idea that America was only founded by Christians with Christian ideals, this is a half-truth. There's always been a conflict between worldviews. In the first century church, it was between Hellenism and Hebraic thought. Today, in the Western world, it is between a Judeo-Christian worldview and the Enlightenment, the Enlightenment of the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries and the philosophies that came with it. One glorified reason. The other glorified God who used reason, a God who was reasonable. 
So there was not a lot of discontinuity between the two, at least initially. But something happens. Something happens. Why could a rational secularism and Judeo-Christian values have been so compatible for the first 200 years or at least 180 years of American history, and now it's dissipating? Well, why? I propose it is in large part a spiritual degeneration that is manifesting itself in a death of reason. The scriptures speak of reason from two perspectives. The first is God's message to people who are not believers, to people who are not regenerate, who are not, as we would say, saved Christians. In Isaiah 1, chapter 1, verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. God wants to reason with man about man's sin. As I've pointed out three times, there are fundamental differences between biblical Christianity, between the gospel and religion. Religion says man is basically good. The gospel says man was created to be basically good, but now he's basically fallen. Religion says it's a blind faith. If you want to believe in something, be a Jew, be a Muslim, be a Buddhist, be a Hindu, be a whatever. Religion is essentially blind faith. The gospel is, come, let us reason. The claims of Jesus are empirically examinable. This is not to say that our faith in Jesus is an intellectual faith, but it is intellectually plausible. It is intellectually defensible. Other faiths generally are not rational. If you look at their belief systems, they believe in things that don't make a lot of sense when the laws of logic are applied to them. A final difference is, of course, religion is man trying to reach God, while the gospel of Jesus is God trying to reach man. Biblical Christianity is the diametric opposite of religion. It is even antithetical to religions that call themselves Christians, but are based on works or sacraments or something of that nature. Reason. That's what God says to people who are not believers. Come, let us reason. But to Christians, saved Christians, he says something else in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind. It's a tripod. Dunamis, power, the love of the Lord, there's an agape, but there is a sound mind, the capacity for critical thought, not critical in the sense of fault-finding, but critical in the sense of making rational decisions in harmony with the Word of God. When you see people who claim to be Christian and claim to have the love of the Lord, but they don't behave or think rationally, reasonably, that is not the spirit of God at work in them. It's another spirit. They don't have the real power of the Lord. With his real power, it's reasonable. It's reasonable. 
We are told twice in the New Testament, for instance, that the fruit of the Spirit is ikrete in Greek, self-control. You see people out of control that can't possibly be the Holy Spirit. I recall one time I was in Toronto, Canada, because everyone said I should go there. So out of curiosity, I went to this particular church that claimed to be having a revival at the time, and people were in like an inebriated state of drunken hysterics. Nobody seemed to be talking about Jesus. Everybody was talking about their experience. And they were saying and doing some very peculiar things. I know it's God. I couldn't control it. Literally. Well, scripturally, by virtue of the fact that they couldn't control it, proves prima facie it couldn't be God. It couldn't be God. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. There were actually people imitating animals. On one occasion, I was in the jungle in Indonesia, and there were some pagans in the jungle, and in an area with orangutans and things of this nature, and they were pounding on drums in a temple. And a local guy, who happened to be a Catholic, said, come here, you want to see this? They're in the temple. They're calling down the spirits. And I said, I don't want to see that crazy thing. No, you want to see this. So I went to the temple. It was just a roof, thatch roof, no walls. And they had these masks of dragons, rather grotesque faces. And they were doing dances. And the dances seemed to be erotic, almost sexually connotated. And they were pounding on the drums and doing these dances. And when they stopped, they took the masks off and they began jumping around like orangutans, imitating monkeys. They picked up coconuts, not the kind we would purchase in a supermarket, big ones that you have to hack open with a machete. And they ripped them to shreds with their teeth. One of them came right up to me, eyeball to eyeball, took a blade of glass about the size of the palm of your hand, and ate it like it was a biscuit, looking right in my eyes, chewing it, showing me his gum, no blood. And the chap I was with told me, that's, that's the monkey spirit. I'd never seen anything like it. It wasn't Leger de Maus, sleight of hand. They were actually doing this by demonic power. I saw them do it. I've seen other things like that, particularly in the third world. Well, I'd never seen anything like it until I went to Toronto, Canada. I saw the monkey spirit. I saw the rooster spirit. I saw the cocker spaniel spirit. I think this one chap had the platypus spirit. There were people imitating animals. I said, what is this? They said, it's a revival. Now, the mind of a beast of an animal was given to Nebuchadnezzar in divine judgment. Judging it scripturally, were Maggio Dei beings were made in God's image and likeness. They were saying animalistic behavior. Getting down on the ground and imitating animals was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. In the scripture, when God did that, it was a judgment. The scripture went out the window. Their brain went out the other window. But these were people who claimed to be born again. They claimed to be saved. And when I said that this is not authentic, this is not a revival, this is not scriptural, this is not of God, this is not going to cause people to believe the gospel and repent and be born again, when I said that, they said, you're unloving, you're judgmental. 
<laughs> Love, power, sound mind. They're the ones who didn't have love. It wasn't the love of Jesus. They had a love of a fiasco, but they didn't have the love of Christ. Whatever was empowering them was not the Holy Spirit. It was another spirit. It was something bizarre. Yet it really happened. It certainly did, and it's happened many other places ever since. Well, let's understand this. At any time in history, there has tended to be one people group that predominated. Paul's day, it was the Romans, who inherited their culture and education, their learning, their worldview from the Greeks. Everyone had been a Greek, everyone. Algebra, Pythagoras, geometry, Euclid, philosophy, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, history, Herodotus, medicine, Hippocrates, Archimedes, seemingly everything. Incredible. Everyone was a Greek. Then everyone was a Roman. Cicero, Seneca, they were all Romans. Suetonius. In the Renaissance, it seems everybody was an Italian. Anybody who did Boccaccio and Dante and Machiavelli and Michelangelo and Bernini, all of them were Italians. Anybody who did anything, Leonardo da Vinci, science, literature, art, they were all Italians. In the age of empire, everybody was British. Everybody was from England, Ireland, Scotland, or Wales, everyone was from the British Isles. Everything predominated, predominated. The Spanish, the Dutch, they all had their turn. When Europe was in the Dark Ages, the Arabs had their golden age. Well, in the last century, the Jews have had their age. This proportionate amount of Jews at the forefront of most major fields, from the arts and media to science to finance, same as the Italians were at one time, same as the British were at one time, same as the Greeks were at one time, etc. Everybody has a turn. Everybody seems to have a turn. It was quite a thing. But they all thought rationally, <laughs> at least in some human sense. They thought somehow rationally. The people who went against the grain, were often persecuted for thinking rationally, such as Socrates. But even the pagan Latin writers, like Cicero and Seneca, wrote the Clementia, they were thinking rationally. Not necessarily biblically, however. But when the gospel came, the word of God was superimposed on human thinking. Ultimately, in the aftermath of the Reformation, Europe came out of the Dark Ages. Judaism declined. Roman Catholicism no longer had the power it once did. There was a Protestant Renaissance in Holland. And lo and behold, Protestant democracies were born. But again, it was all very well reasoned. If we look at the US Constitution, it is very well Reasoned. Where is the reason now? 
certain things have been happening in the Western world. In 1968, two movements began when I was a teenager. One was the charismatic movement. The charismatic movement said it was going to renew the church and then renew Western society for Christ. That's what they claimed. This was the belief of most charismatics and their leaders. The other was the New Age movement. The Maharishi Mahesh Yogi came to London, and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the pop icons of my generation went to ashrams in India, and the New Age movement was born. Eastern religion began to invade Western society. New Age thought, Hinduism coming in the masquerade of New Age. This was when it was happening, coming into the Western world something began to happen. Well, I look back now to 1968. That's a long time ago, half a lifetime, nearly. I look back to 1968, all these years later. Which of these two movements has changed the Western world? Is society more Christian now than it was in 1968, or is it more New Age now than it was in 1968? Christ has not been defeated. But the body of Christ has been defeated and humiliated by the New Age movement to the point where New Age is coming into the church. Quite a thing. Quite a thing. Well, let's begin to understand this death of reason. Anybody, anybody with an average education can read the preamble to the US Constitution. Anybody, a high school graduate, can easily read the preamble to the US Constitution. They are endowed, we hold these truths to be self-evident, all men are created equal, and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. It is a theistic document, and the foundations of American law and government say it is self-evident that there's a God. It is a theistic document. The Declaration of Independence and the Constitution are theistic documents. Anybody can read it and say, we are a constitutional democracy predicated on the presupposition that there is a God, whom everyone knows they identified with the Judeo-Christian God of the Scriptures. Everyone knows that. High school graduate can easily understand what it says. Yet you have people who went to Yale Law and Harvard Law arguing before the Supreme Court, before justices who went to Yale Law and Harvard Law, that you have to order the Ten Commandments out of a judicial building in Alabama. And a judge, Sandra Day O'Connor, appointed by Ronald Reagan, a pro-abortion judge who Reagan appointed after he said he was pro-life, but he, of course, lied. He appointed a pro-abortion judge to the Supreme Court. Wrote a decision ordering the Ten Commandments out of the judicial building. You have to take down nativity displays in public squares. They're not allowing sports teams to have a chaplain pray before the football game. There's open, almost, persecution 
of evangelical chaplains in the U.S. Air Force. It's almost persecution. And they're arguing it's unconstitutional. It's not reasonable to read the Constitution and say that. Even a secular humanist, even a deist president like Thomas Jefferson, at the expense of the federal government, had Bibles printed and given to North American Indian tribes. It's ludicrous what they're saying. But reason is gone. Reason is gone. It's gone from the corridors of power. It's gone from the most educated people in the legal profession. It's gone from the highest courts. Jesus warned specifically, you'll be brought before magistrates and kings. There will be a rise, and there is a rise, in judicial fascism, where judges legislate from the bench. The powers of Congress or of parliaments are circumvented by decisions imposed by corrupt courts with godless judges, and it's going to get worse. You'll be brought before magistrates and kings. Here in California, the citizens of the state voted to preserve traditional marriage. A homosexual judge nominated by Ronald Reagan and appointed by George Bush nullified the democratic will of the people of the state with a court decision and imposed it. It doesn't matter what you want through your democracy. Democracy is disappearing. We turn away from the Judeo-Christian principles of scripture that engendered our democracy. So democracy is going. It doesn't matter which political party wins the election, you understand. Nations are like churches. They get the leaders they deserve. Democrats and Republicans are like the heirs to the throne of Solomon, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Which bum do you want? That's your only choice. Whoever wins, they're going to be a bum. They're not going to be any good. They're going to be godless. That's what's going to happen. It's a judgment. We get the leaders we deserve. This is not to say we shouldn't pray for these wicked people, but they're wicked. Well, let's continue. Quite a situation. If there's anything that's supposed to be based on reason, it's science. In my youth, I studied biomedical science. Later, I studied theology. I recall attending a lecture on protein synthesis, or biochemistry and physiology. You need the right combination of amino acids, left-handed and right-handed ones, in the exact configuration right down to the level of atomic covalency of these amino acids to eventually get a peptide. But then you need the right combination and configuration of peptides to get a polypeptide. But then you need the right configuration of polypeptides to get a polypeptide chain to eventually synthesize one protein, an extremely long molecule, for which there must be an equally complex coenzyme that must be able, right down to the level of atomic covalency, interact with other, other proteins. And that's just the beginning. The odds of this happening by chance are not simply infinitesimal. There are no odds. We're in California. You can go to Caltech or Berkeley or MIT on the East Coast. 
go into the faculty of information science. Information science did not exist in the days of Charles Darwin. But if you go into the faculty of information science, the professors are going to teach you there is no auto-encryption. If there's a code, there had to be a pre-existing intelligence to write it. There are software programs that can write other programs, but somebody had to write the original program. Organized information cannot come from a vacuum. You'd be very hard-pressed to get a computer system, a Cray computer, a supercomputer. You'd be hard-pressed to get one that can simultaneously process 100,000 lines of digital information. The human genome alone, the human genome, four nucleotides in sequence. The human genome is not 100,000, it's 13 billion. That doesn't talk about the poinsettia genome or the lobster genome, that's just the human one. So now you walk across the campus at MIT or Caltech or Berkeley, or any major university, to a faculty of biomedical sciences. That professor will tell you there is auto-encryption, that information does come from a vacuum, that there's random evolution. So you ask the question, well, where does recombinant DNA cross the genus barrier in the natural environment? The only real example they have is one something called the bacteriophage, where a, vi a, a virus attaches itself to a bacterial cell, and it can take cytoplasmic DNA from the first host bacterial cell and attach itself to another one and inject the DNA into the second one. But it works to the destruction of the second one because of bioentropy. It never works to improve it, or to cause it to evolve. It causes it to devolve, to disintegrate, to die. It's a death program. It just doesn't make any sense. There's not a physiologist or a geneticist in the world who can tell you otherwise. Yet all biomedical science is predicated on it? It's just not reasonable. But of course, when you point out the scientific realities, they'll tell you you're unreasonable. It's always the same game with them, over longer periods of time. <coughs> and some of the ways they come out with to try to circumvent the realities of entropy or the second law of thermodynamics are ludicrous. It just doesn't work. It's not even possible. Who's right? the professor of genetics or the professor of information science. But science is no longer based on reason. Something is happening in science. With the Enlightenment, what had been alchemy split. Chemistry and physics went this way. Magic went that way. Okay. What had been healing arts Medicine and pharmacology went this way. Folk medicine and superstition went that way. Okay. Astronomy went this way. Astrology went that way. 
Now we're seeing a rapprochement between science and the occult. Science and the occult are reintegrating again, particularly in particle physics, computer video graphics and holography, holistic medicine. You are seeing a reintegration of science and the occult and superstition. And it's going to get more like this. It's not rational. Grandmother's not dead. We cloned her DNA. She'll be back next Tuesday as a little baby. Give her the same name as the dead grand. They will actually try to scientifically facilitate reincarnation. You understand? This is not science fiction anymore. It's just science. We're going to see this take place, certainly, in virtual technology. People will create their own subjective reality. It's not just going to be games like Candy Crushing, whatever it is. People are going to put on a simulator with very high definition. It'll be almost like sunglasses. I've always wanted to be Elvis. I always wanted to be Cinderella. I always wanted to be Napoleon. People will construct their own world. Reality will become subjective, not objective. It doesn't matter what happens out there. That's just my day job. Now that I'm on food stamps, I can be Cinderella 24-7. <laughs> it sounds crazy. And it is crazy. It's not reasonable. But it's what it is coming if you were to ask the average Darwinist, do you believe in protecting endangered species? Do you believe in saving the whale? Oh, yes. OK. Why? If the species becomes extinct, it's supposed to. <laughs> do you believe in same-sex marriage? Yes! And you believe in Darwinism? Yes! Well, Darwinism says that if people are born homosexual, if they are, I don't believe they are, but if they are, it's a birth defect because it's non-reproductive. Survival of the fittest. Those people have a congenital birth defect if they were born with a homosexual orientation, which they weren't, but that's the claim. It's not reasonable. You believe that homosexuals and lesbians are genetically inferior? Of course not. Well, Darwinism says they are. Their worldview doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense anymore. None of it. There's a moral relativism that's not even rational. You can go to a major hospital. Go to the seventh floor, the neonatology ward. They'll be spending several thousand dollars a day to keep one premature baby born by cesarean section at 18 to 22 weeks gestation alive. They'll be spending four, five, six thousand dollars a day and sometimes more to keep one 
premature baby alive in a neonatology ward on the seventh floor. Take the elevator one flight up, they will be aborting a baby at the same fetal age. I understand you're a professor of obstetrics. Can you please explain to me what is abortus provocatus? What is the difference between aborting a baby at 20, 22 weeks gestation or keeping one alive? What makes one infanticide and one simply an abortion? Is the difference purely semantic? What is the scientific clinical difference? What is the difference embryologically? They don't have a difference. Yet this is medical science. It's not even reasonable. Not even reasonable. You're talking of homosexuality. The kind of epithelium lining the vaginal mucosa is ciliated epithelium. The underlying musculature will support stretching to facilitate penetration, childbirth, etc. However, the epithelium in the intestinal cavity is a single strata columbar epithelium, hyperabsorptive tissue. It is not designed to facilitate things like penetration. It's very dangerous. Homosexuals have much higher instances of cancers like Carposi sarcoma. They're hundreds of times more likely to become HIV infected. You're talking about an average reduced longevity, in some cases up to 30 years, for a homosexual person. These are simply biomedical statistics. You can't ask somebody if they're HIV positive. Everybody else has to pay higher premiums to protect their privacy. Can you ask people if they smoke cigarettes on a life insurance policy? Oh, yes. Why? Because other people shouldn't have to pay higher premiums. <laughs> it's not even reasonable. There's no reason. It's gone from law. It's gone from medicine. It's gone from much of science. It's certainly gone from government. It's gone from the way we run the economy. It's just not reasonable to think you can keep printing money, to think you can keep running massive deficits and have unfunded liabilities and not see a system break down eventually. The only thing politicians care about is the next election. They've set a time bomb. They've set a fiscal monetary time bomb Nobody, no economist can deny it. Reason is gone. Reason is absolutely gone. It's quite a thing. There are many, many people in Latin America, many Hispanics, throughout South America waiting to enter the United States legally. Many waiting for visas. Some of them wait 10 years. Some of them spend many thousands of dollars on immigration lawyers to get into the country. Others come here. Unemployment among Mexican-Americans is much higher than it is among gringos. Unemployment among African-Americans is twice as high as it is among Caucasians. 
Yet people who enter the country illegally are allowed to take jobs from Mexican Americans who were born here? Well, if you don't agree, you're a bigot against Hispanics and Latinos. No, I'm for the Latinos who were born here. What, a, what about you go to the border patrol? All of the border patrolmen are all Hispanic Americans, but they were Americans. You go to any prison in California, there's two gangs. Hispanic Americans are one gangs, Mexicans are another gang. They're not even the same people. How can you put a knife in the back of your own poor, of your own Hispanics, of your own blacks in the name of equality? How can you reward people for breaking the law and taking jobs away from Mexican Americans? Now, nobody can deny this. Nobody can deny this. But of course, if somebody says it, particularly if a conservative Latino politician says it, they hate him. <laughs> it's not even reasonable. Law is gone. There's no reason in the law anymore. There is no reason left in it. No reason left in it. God. There are fifth and sixth generation Mexican Americans in this country. Why should they be unemployed because somebody's taking their job? First give the jobs to the Mexican Americans, then you can bring some more in. I got no problem with that. It's crazy. They don't think anymore. Law doesn't mean anything. It's all politics. Politics is not based on reason. It's based on corruption. It's based on a deviant substitute for reason. But nations get the leaders they deserve. Then we have no fault. It's nobody's fault! Drunk driver kills a kid, no fault insurance. No fault divorce. The guy was unfaithful to his wife for 20 years. That's nobody's fault. We have no fault divorce. No sense of blame, no sense of personal responsibility or culpability. It's nobody's fault. I live in Great Britain. In Great Britain, the welfare state was begun after the Second World War by somebody called Sir William Beveridge. A single parent family was a young woman with children whose husband was killed in the war against the Nazis or against the Japanese. The concept was the state, the taxpayer, has to step in and assume some of the financial and social responsibility for these children whose father was killed in the war, we have to help this widow. That's what a single parent family was. Now it's some woman with five kids from three different yobos, and the taxpayers are supporting them. I'm old enough to remember the injustices of Jim Crow in the American South. My parents driving me from New York and New Jersey to Florida as a kid. I remember seeing this as Klan country, white only. It was absolutely shocking. I I'm old enough to remember Jim Crow, the, the, the segregation against black people. I remember how ugly and stupid it was. I was a kid, but I never remember it. 
1949, when Jim Crow was at its worst, when the Klan was lynching black veterans who fought in World War II, when they wouldn't let black people go to university, when Jim Crow was at its absolute peak, fewer than one out of 10 Afro-American children were born out of wedlock. Fewer than one out of 10. They had traditional family and religious values. Martin Luther King was a Christian minister, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. These people had moral values. They had moral convictions. It would have been a shame and a disgrace to have a child out of wedlock. We may be discriminated against by bigots. We may, the rednecks may be depriving us of our rights, but at least we have a sense of dignity because of our faith. Fewer than one out of 10. Now 72% of Afro-American children, 72% are born out of wedlock. What chance are those kids going to have? Oh, the divorce rate. These things happen. It's nobody's fault. Every statistical study ever undertaken by anybody shows us that a child born out of wedlock or from a broken home is more likely to wind up a high school dropout and in the criminal justice system. The statistical relationship is undeniable. You can't say that. Divorce is a big business in this country. What about the kids? What about the victims? Oh, homosexuality? Our ministry has a program. We have an orphanage for, 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 for AIDS children in Africa. And we were involved in Uganda and South Africa with AIDS children. In tribal Africa, homosexuality is unthinkable. I was in Uganda when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. She was threatening the Ugandan government to withhold American aid if they didn't change their laws on homosexuality being illegal. Now, AIDS is already rampant in, 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 in Africa. AIDS is already rampant. I guess not enough blacks are dying to keep Hillary Clinton happy. We've got to kill some more black people. And she's a, a liberal. This is not reasonable. This is crazy. If it's normal, if it's natural, homosexuality should be uniform in every culture. How come tribal peoples don't do it? You don't find it in tribal cultures. Reason is gone. How dare you ask that question? What about the reduced longevity? How dare you ask that question? Talk to a homosexual or a lesbian who's been born again, who's been saved. They'll all tell you the same thing. You'd be very hard-pressed, unless it's a very rare case of a hermaphrodite or something, you'd be very, very hard-pressed to find a homosexual male who didn't have an absent or weak father figure, and you'd be very hard-pressed to find a lesbian who didn't have an absent or weak mother figure. Daddy became mommy, mommy became daddy, and the poor kid had a gender identity crisis growing up, but by the time they reached adolescence and began to develop sexually and psychosexually, they were confused. 
They all say the same thing. It's directly related to the divorce rate. It's directly related to children being born out of wedlock. Oh, you don't love the poor. You don't want to do A single parent family was somebody whose husband was killed in the war. It wasn't somebody sleeping around and then handing you the bill for their kids. Reason is gone. There's no more reason. Reason is gone. Well, it gets worse and worse and worse. We live in a multi-faith society. I remember walking through the streets of Mumbai, India. I saw a little boy, maybe 18 months old, on a mound of stinking garbage. One of God knows how many thousands in that city alone. He was from the Dalit, from the outcasts in the caste system. He was conspicuously tubercular and severely malnourished. This is in a huge city now. There were thousands of people an hour Thousands an hour walking by that kid. Didn't mean anything. I'm not joking. This is the middle of a major urban center now, a city much bigger than Los Angeles. Right up the road, they were feeding cows sacks of wheat. The life of a cow was worth more than the life of a baby. I saw it with my own eyes. My friend used to clean the teeth of one of the Beatles, George Harrison, who built Hindu temples for the Aryan Krishnas in England. And I got the book that was the testimony of a guru who got saved, a Brahmin from India who became a believer. The book was called Death of a Guru. And I wrote the note to George Harrison, and I said, his castle's near my office in England, and I wrote the note my grandmother was from Liverpool, the way, where he was from. If you grew up in the slums of Calcutta, instead of in the council estates of Liverpool, do you think you'd be living in this castle? Look what Hinduism has done for India. I gave him the, the book to my friend Doreen, and she cleaned his teeth and handed him the book. He was so angry he threw the book. Then he picked it up and took it. A couple of weeks later, somebody broke into his castle and stabbed him in the chest. A year later, he died here in L.A. singing Hare Krishna. Look what that religion has done for India. At least when I was a kid, the Jim Crow people knew it was bigotry. It was unjust. It was immoral. It was wrong. Because you have a Judeo-Christian worldview. At least people knew that racism was wrong. In India... It's the caste system. It's worse than racism. The caste system, it's supposed to be that way. That's his karma. He must have been a bad person in a previous life. That's what they believe. It's just not reasonable for people from the Western world to gravitate towards that. I've been from one end of the Muslim world to the other. 
I've been in Malaysia. I've been in Brunei. I've been in Indonesia. I've been in the Persian Gulf. I've been in Egypt. I've been in Jordan. I've been in Morocco. I've been to Islamic Africa. I've been from one end of the Muslim world to the other. Of the 57 Muslim nations in the world, and I've been to many of them, maybe most of them, but I've been to many of them. When I see a politician lying on the news as Islam is a religion of peace and tolerance, I ask them to show me. Show me one Islamic country of the 57. Show me just one that will give Christians and Jews the rights that Muslims get in the United States or Britain or Australia or Canada or Israel. They can't even show you one. They're lying, and they know they are lying. And if you say they're lying, you're an Islamophobe. I'm an Islamophobe. Well, roughly 100,000 Christians murdered by Islam in the southern Philippines. 100,000 killed by Abu Sayyaf. Oh, that's nothing to do with Islam. You're just an Islamophobe. 300,000 Christians killed in East Timor. Oh, that's nothing to do with Islam. You're just an Islamophobe. What happens if you become a Christian in Pakistan? Oh, that's nothing to do with Islam. You're just an Islamophobe. What about in Chechnya when they shot the little children in the back? Four years old. They were shooting four-year-olds in the back. Oh, that's nothing to do with Islam. You're just an Islamophobe. What about two weeks ago when ISIS was beheading Christian children, beheading them in Iraq? Oh, that's nothing to do with Islam. You're just an Islamophobe. What about in Sudan and Darfur? They killed three and one-third million, three and one-third million Christians over a period of 14 years, brutally butchered alive by Arab, Afro-Arab militias in Darfur and Sudan. Over 3,300,000 black Christians murdered. Oh, that's nothing to do with Islam. You're just an Islamophobe. What about the London tube bombings? Oh, that's nothing to do with Islam. You're just an Islamophobe. Or what about the Boston Marathon bombings? Oh, that's nothing to do with Islam. You're just an Islamophobe. What about September 11th? Oh, that's nothing to do with Islam. You're just an Islamophobe. Who's doing it, the Quakers? It's not even reasonable. They're lying and they know they're lying. The BBC knows they're lying. CNN knows they're lying. George Bush knows he's a liar. The Saudi Arabians are our friends. The Saudi Arabian Wahhab that will hang somebody for becoming a Christian may be a friend of Bush, but he's no friend of mine. They know they're lying. The stupidity of left-wing academics in this country. We believe in women's rights. Look what happens to women in Islamic countries. <laughs> we believe in gay rights. Look what happens to homosexuals in Islamic countries. This is the left. It's just not reasonable. Reason is gone. It's not reasonable to believe such things. Christians, however, are supposed to be different. 
We are supposed to have the power of sound mind. Well, that would be nice if it was true. If we have the love of Jesus, Paul writes in Timothy, if we're really empowered by Christ, we're supposed to have the power of a sound mind. Can you imagine a televangelist on TV saying that a 900-foot-tall Jesus Christ appeared to him and said if he doesn't come up with $6 million by the end of the month, Jesus is going to kill him? Did you know that Jesus Christ is a 900-foot-tall extortionist? Oral Roberts taught that! on television, and other people defended him. You wouldn't imagine that. These are Christians. Christians. There's a mystic, a Gnostic, Bill Johnson, C. Peter Wagner, Rick Joyner, and Cheon from here in Los Angeles. On television, they take somebody covered with tattoos, a criminally convicted bisexual pedophile kicked an old lady in the face. He's banned from getting a visa to enter the United Kingdom. He's banned from getting a visa to enter Australia. But Peter Wagner and Bill Johnson and Cheon and Rick Joyner lay hands on him and prophesy over him on television how he's going to lead the great revival and how he's God's anointed. Wendy and Rory Alec, he's now been caught in serial adultery, said anybody who speaks against this man is speaking against the Lord. They're of Satan. Well, this guy looks like a tattooed goon. I'm only telling you what he did. After they prophesied over him, 72 hours later, 72 hours later, he leaves his handicapped wife, abandons his three children, and takes off with a harlot. Marries her, now she's prophesying, and they're back in ministry under the covering of Rick Joyner. These people are crazy. This is lunacy. Now look, Hollywood has always been crazy. They never had any scruples or any morals. The world, politicians in Washington, what do you expect? When the world is corrupt, the world is corrupt. I expect it. I expect it. But when it's Christians? Partial birth abortion. When a baby is coming through the birth canal, you extract it with forceps, through a suboccipital puncture, insert a suction catheter and suck its brains out when it's trying to be born. So ugly and gross, it was outlawed by Congress twice in votes. Even pro-abortion people were against it. Twice, not once, but twice, Bill Clinton vetoed the congressional ban. Barack Obama opposed it in the state of Illinois when he was in the state Senate. 
This is Clinton and Obama. Sucking a baby's brains out? Well, Bill Hybels had a pastor's seminar in Chicago. 5,000 evangelical born-again pastors. I know pastors who attended, some of them Calvary Chapel. Guys who I thought had been friends of mine. This was after the Lewinsky affair. Now, we know what happened. A president, a president, it was gross, inserting cigars into a troubled young woman the age of his daughter, disbarred this, this for perjury in, in, in Arkansas, lies through his teeth to the American people. And so they invite him to be the speaker at the Christian Leadership Conference at Bill Hybels Church in Chicago in front of 5,000 evangelical pastors. God put up a lot with ancient Israel and ancient Judah. Idolatry, immorality, social injustice. He put up with a lot. But when under King Menashe, they began killing their babies and sacrificing their children to Molech, they went too far. This country has slaughtered over 55 million in non-therapeutic abortion, but that's not good enough. Now it's partial birth abortion. Obama and Clinton fighting for it. The judgment of God's going to come because of this. The judgment of God is going to come on the Western world, and I will tell you something. The same generation responsible for Roe versus Wade is going to pay the price for what it did. The abortion battle is all but lost. The next one will be euthanasia. Bye-bye, Granny economically motivated decisions. Over 2,000 elderly people, geriatric patients, are terminated without their consent in Holland every year. It'll come here. They're going to reap what they sowed. No wonder Social Security is in trouble. <laughs> no wonder. It's unbelievable. They will reap what they have sowed. It's not reasonable what they've done. It's been economically self-destructive. Advances in antenatal medicine, neonatology are incredible. You cannot even clinically justify what they're doing anymore. Doesn't matter. It's not reasonable. Reason is gone. The judgment of God is going to come because of non-therapeutic abortion. So you've got 5,000 evangelical pastors in Bill Hybels' church. Not one of those worthless hireling cowards, not one during the question and answer time, challenged Clinton. Not one! These are not pastors, they're hirelings. It's no wonder society has lost its mind. When the body of Christ has lost its mind, what do you expect from unsaved people? When the clergy are crazy, but not only crazy, they're cowards. And they don't have the love of Jesus. Because the spirit of Jesus is love, it's power, and the power of a sound mind.
if the church loses its light, if the church is no longer salt and light, the society is doomed. The primary culpability is not on the politicians. They don't have any principles anyway, by and large. The primary culpability is not on the teachers' unions. Those things are absurd to begin with. The primary culpability is not on Hollywood or on drug gangs in South Central LA. The primary culpability about what is happening to the Western world is on the backslidden church and its failed leaders. We are to blame. Jesus never called the world to be salt and light. The world is out of its mind. Reason is gone. It's gone from science. It's gone from law. It's gone from economics. It's gone from government. It's gone from education. Reason is gone from everything. The school systems are no longer about educating children. They're about social engineering. Reason's gone. But it wouldn't be happening to the society at the rate or to the degree which it is happening if reason was not gone from the church. Pella evangelists prostituting the word of God, turning the ministry of the gospel into a racket, discrediting the message of Jesus, and they're allowed to get away with it. We're to come into ecumenical union with other religions. Peter Kreef wrote a book, Ecumenical Jihad. He said we have to morally, we have to unite with Islam to morally redeem society. Now we have Chrislam. Who endorsed that book? Chuck Colson, J.I. Packer, major evangelical figures. They've lost their mind. It's the death of reason. The church is getting more and more crazy. People who we never thought would have ever apostatized. People who we always thought were solid, scriptural, rational. Imagine, imagine saying somebody can worship the Antichrist, worship Satan incarnate, worship the image of the beast, take the mark of the beast, and still go to heaven. John MacArthur. That man used to preach the truth. He's lost his mind. They have lost their mind. There's the death of reason. Well, what's the consolation in this? There's only one consolation. I'm not saying we should have a bunker mentality. We should fight on as long as we can. We should be reaching as many souls for Christ and discipling them in the way of Jesus as we can. But let us make no mistake, better days are coming. Jesus is returning. Now we have evangelical Christians. Combination of Ignorance and hypocrisy, if not anti-Semitism. Of all the nations in the Middle East, 
there is one that fully protects the human rights of Arab Christians. It's not Iran. It's not Saudi Arabia. It's not Syria. The only country in the Middle East that protects the human rights of Christians is Israel. Yet that's the one the Presbyterian Church of the USA condemns. That's the one the World Council of Churches condemns. That's the one the Vatican increasingly condemns. That's the one Gary Burge from Wheaton College condemns, and Stephen Sizer and Colin Chapman condemn. Why are we condemning the one country in the Middle East that protects the civil rights and human rights of Christians, that has the best human rights record of all the nations in the Middle East? We're singling them out. And we're supposed to believe it's not anti-Semitism. That's like saying apartheid is not being prejudiced against black people. It's an absurd statement. But it's what's happening. No, there's a death of reason in society. And it's going to get worse before Jesus comes. But there's a death of reason in the mainstream churches now and denominations. Yes, friends, they are losing their minds. But hang on, Jesus is coming soon. They might be losing their minds. But if you trust Jesus, you won't lose yours. God bless.